morning. Let's see everybody out this morning. It's this time of year, last Sunday of the year, so it's time to put a bow on our theme of being holy as God is holy. You know what? I was pretty pleased with myself this morning. I was like, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna do a bow. I've never done that before. And then I Googled it and I said, I used that picture last year. Uh, so maybe you remember that, maybe you don't. So I get no creative points besides I forget what I talked about last year. Uh, but at the same time, man, we've got to bring this all together as we close out our year. And if you're visiting with us, This is probably not going to be the most informative lesson that you have ever heard in your life because we've talked about most of these things throughout the year. So I'm just going to reference a lot of these things. But yet there will be something that will be new in the middle of the sermon, and I'll make sure that I point that out as we think about being holy in our worship. As we just had read for us there in Psalm 95, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. And we've seen... This particular quarter, as we're talking about worship, how the idea is that you bow down. If you're the animal, you kiss the hand of your master, as Michael has said. Or if you're an individual, you bow down in obedience to someone. And in this case, it is God. Oh, come let us bow down to God. He is our maker. He is our shepherd. He leads us. He feeds us. He is everything to us. Come, let us worship. And I began to think about what Michael said last week about our spectators and our participants. Are we here this morning, as he said last week, that was building up, and I I thought he he couldn't have built up in a better way because I couldn't stop thinking about it all week. Of Do I have all my little fake mustache and my glasses and my hat so that I can be incognito And I can just sit there and observe what goes on. Or am I going to be Psalm 96? Oh, come, let us bow down and worship. Because when we do that, we're part of it. I want you to think about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. The command of the king is when you hear the trumpets play and you hear all of the music. And you see the statue to King Nebuchadnezzar, all of you bow down. And three of them did not bow down. Because they would not worship the king. They would only worship God. They even had another chance in the king's private area to just bow down in front of me and everything will be okay. And they still stood. I wonder how many times people, they even participate in the activities. As we said last week, take the cracker, we sing, but yet we're just doing it just to get somebody off our back. Could be King Nebuchadnezzar, could be mom, could be dad, could be spouse, could be boyfriend, girlfriend. It could be a list of whoever might even be my children. And I'm participating but I'm not giving true worship. And so I thought about this. If I've been a participant from January until now, can I even find the theme verse? I might could tell you what the theme verse is, right? Be holy for I am holy. Now here's the question. Where would I show that to somebody? 
I would hope that you would know that it is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. We've said that a lot. But yet I thought, man, how many times have I might have just sat there and it's just gone right over my head that I couldn't even tell anybody else about that? Or where I started to get a little pricked in the heart about am I a participant or a spectator was when I said, well, can I even remember four sermons from this year? I began to think, well, that might be an indictment on Michael or myself if I can't remember four, four sermons. But at the same time, I really had to sit there and think for a while before I got four that weren't in the same quarter. Because there were parts of the year that really stuck out to me personally, and I imagine that's the case with you as well. But maybe there are at least just four things or four principles that you remember from the year. So one of the things that I remembered was in chapter and quarter one where we were talking about be holy for I am holy. God is holy. And that whole picture from Isaiah about how he is high, he is lifted up, he is exalted on that high mountain. And we understand, man, we and God are not equals at all. But yet he's given me a chance to be like him. Or maybe... You remembered Michael talking about holification. I think he even mentioned it last week. But the reason that sticks out to me is because that's not a word. And so I remember words that aren't words. And I couldn't get that out. But that process of how one becomes holy, how someone becomes sanctified, and how we saw all of those things take place. And so maybe you're going to go home and you're going to try to say, man, what are four things I remember that weren't talked about today? But weren't talked about last week. And that might give me a more of a little bit more of an indication of how participatory am I really in my worship. Not necessarily because we don't all have the same mental capabilities of remembrance, etc. But you know how much you got out of it by how much you put into it. We talk about that all the time, don't we? I'm not getting anything out of church and the my always question is, what are you putting into it? Because so often that talks about that. So we're going to be holy in our worship as we see. This morning I want to talk about two things that we talked about a lot during the year, and then we're going to wrap it up. I want to begin by talking about true worship versus vain worship. Now you say, Wes, that's what you've been talking about. I want you to go to John chapter 4. And this was a passage that we used a lot this year. And he comes in that conversation where Jesus is coming back from Jerusalem and he's on his way back up to Galilee. And he takes the shorter route through Samaria, but the unusual route. Uh, The Jews normally didn't go there. They normally didn't have any dealings or any passings with the Samaritans. But Jesus goes this route. And while he's there at this well, this woman, this Samaritan woman speaks to him and he talks to her. And he offers her water. But which she will never thirst. And like, give me this water. And then she finds out that he is a prophet. And once she finds out that he is a prophet, she begins to ask him questions about, you say that we should worship on this mountain. That would be down in Jerusalem. But our fathers say we should worship here in Gerizim. And again, we've got to go to some place to worship God. Which one is it? And I want you to notice God's response or Jesus responds, who is God, in verse 21. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain 
nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship currently what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when, and here's the word I want to focus on, when the true worshipers will worship. See, there's a difference in you worship what you don't know, but there are true worshipers. And what a true worshiper means is it is a real worshiper. It is the genuine worshiper. And he goes on to say that the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. I want you to think about that for a second. God is out looking actively for people to really bow down before Him. Normally we think about Him sitting up on His, up on his throne, just kind of waiting to see, oh, is anyone going to come today? Is anyone going to need me today? And the picture seems to me, He's out looking and He's out calling and He's out talking and saying, will you bow down before me? Or as we saw in Psalm 96, or will you harden your hearts as they did the children of Israel in the rebellion when they were going through and He'd given them food and He'd given them water and He'd done all this stuff for them. They hardened their hearts and they wouldn't come and bow. They wouldn't worship Him. They wouldn't obey His voice. He said, I'm done with that generation. You're all dead to me. And they're dead. Forty After a total of 40 years, they were all left for dead. They didn't give Him real worship. And guess what? They were worshiping all the time. But it wasn't real. It wasn't from that heart. It wasn't true. And God is looking for people to really do it. And so verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. And we talked earlier in the year about how demanding God is when it comes to worship. How He expects so much out of us in that regard. And if we are going to be true worshipers, we have to give Him what He demands. We must do it in that way. But then there are a lot of people, and maybe myself included, where we give vain worship. I want you to go to Matthew, the 15th chapter, as we consider vain worship. You might say that this Samaritan woman was offering vain worship. They're worshiping God, oddly enough, from Mount Gerizim. They believe in Him, and they do it their way, and the Jews did it their way. But in Matthew 15, the people that the Jews would look at of themselves and say, Man, these are the real worshipers of God. These are the ones who tithe. They're mint, they're anise, they're cumin, they're small stuff. These are the ones that fast all the time. These are the ones that pray all the time. These are the really religious, true worshipers of God. And Jesus says, no, 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 you're not. Because my disciples, they just haven't washed their hands like your elders have told them to wash their hands. Jesus' disciples were eating one day. And these scribes and these Pharisees, they see that Jesus' disciples didn't ceremonially wash their hands. They didn't do it the right way. And the scribes, they say, well, this is a problem. 
This is wrong. Why do your disciples not wash their hands? Because this is what they're supposed to do. Why do they break the tradition of the elders? And Jesus answers them in verse 7. It's actually big on verse 6. He need not honor his father or his mother for the sake of your tradition. You've made void the word of God. They had made traditions trump God's commands, specifically honor your father and your mother and many others. But here's what he says about them and all of their worship. He says, verse 7, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now I'm going to focus on that phrase. In vain do they worship me. It's fake. What they are giving is fake worship. The lips say it. You, you know, we say that all the time, right? Actions speak louder than words. Your lips are saying, I love you, I love you. But I can see your heart. I search your heart. I search the reins. I know what is going on in there. And I know that you're thinking about something completely different. And what you're thinking about is, man, how can we be elevated? How can I get my law? How can I do this? How can I do that? And as just Michael was talking about this morning, was I able to focus for even ten minutes on the body of Jesus Christ? really hard, isn't it? But how much of that could be vanity? Empty. That's another way we use the word vain, is it's empty. You're doing all this, but there is no reward. There is no fruit from it. And so, many of the religious actions that take place, these, quote, acts of worship, they don't bring forth any profit. We saw that in Isaiah on Wednesday night. I'll show, I'll show them your righteousness, but God says it won't profit you. Or you think of it in Matthew 6, that the person who does his fasting to be seen of men, or he does his giving to be seen of men, or he does these other things to be seen of men. Yeah, you're bowing down, but it is fake because you really don't care a thing about God. And the truth is, if we are going to be holy, we have to care everything about God. Because if we don't care about God, we're not going to be like Him. We're not going to separate ourselves. We are not going to bow ourselves down because we just don't care what He really thinks. We care what mom thinks. We care what husband thinks. We care what preacher thinks. We care what I think. And we don't care what God thinks. It's vain. Come, all you want, wake up early. There's an 8 o'clock service, come on. There's a 4 o'clock afternoon service, come on. Empty as can be, it's all hollow. You're wasting your time. I tell you, man, that's, that's scary to think. I can be coming here week after week, year after year, and be piling on absolutely nothing. I'm heaping up all these things, and i got nothing but notches in my belt for days I've been sitting on a pew. And it's been totally empty. We don't want to get to the end of our life. We don't want to add up all the days that we were alive. 
and then feel completely empty at the end, do we? Magnify that spiritually speaking. When did we not cast out all these demons in your name? Did we not do many signs and wonders in your name? That would be acts of worship in one sense. Apart from me, I never knew. You work lawlessness. You worked iniquity. Like eternally, that's what I get to think about is how pointless my bowing down was because my heart wasn't in it. But we also learn, and this gets us to the second thing that we want to talk about, as we saw back in John chapter 4, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. And we talked about that, how it has to be with the heart. Their heart is far from me. It's not there. They're doing all the right things, but not with the right motives. The heart is not there. And we see of the Corinthians who gave of themselves, and they gave from their heart willingly and cheerfully. They gave. That's a good thing to do. It's right to do. Because the heart was there. We also talked about how worship needs to be with emotion. And I want you to think about that in Colossians chapter 3. As we think about emotion, sometimes the first emotion that comes to my mind is anger. I don't think that really goes with, with worship. But at the same time, you might fall down to God being angry at God and saying, I... What is going on here? I think God understands that. I think there is something to be said about that. Is that even when I'm angry at God, I still recognize He's the one who's in control and I still bow down before Him. I think He understands that. That that's a human emotion. And I would go to Him in that time of need, as Hebrews chapter 4 would say, even recognizing right now I'm not very happy. Things are not going my way. You said no to this over and over and over again. But yet I still stay holy. I still stay set apart to Him and keep coming to Him. But there are other times it's easy to have emotion. I want you to see there in verse 16. To let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing! But he doesn't say just sing. There's another part of the command we don't talk about very often. Sing with thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. When was the last time? I, I, I'm not sure that I really thought about that. I know Michael said it earlier in the year, but it didn't hit me the same way it did this week as I was thinking about it. As I was thinking about this morning, man, did I really sing with thankfulness? And I'm the one preaching the sermon. I'm the one who even knew I was going to make this point. And yet now that I think about it, I say, well, did I really sing being all thankful or was I thinking about, you know? It's very complicated. God really expects our real intent and real focus and what He wants to be thankful for. And that's just in that. That's not to mention prayer and other things. But it just goes to show that, man, things aren't as simple as we like to make them out to be. 
we see that the true side of things, the spirit side, yeah, I've got the heart, I've got the emotion, but it's got to match the true thing I'm supposed to do, the right quote mountain to worship on, the right place. And as Michael pointed out in John 1, the truth is only in Jesus. John chapter 1, the Word came and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. And He was full of grace and truth. Or as Paul says to the Ephesians, if you have learned the truth that is in Christ Jesus, Ephesians chapter 4. Like that's the only place truth really is. Everyone else is a fake. Everyone else is a phony. The truth is in Jesus, and so how do we find out what the truth is? Scripture, right? 2 Timothy 3. All Scripture, all the sacred writings of God are inspired of God. They are breathed out by God. They are given directly from God. And they're profitable for teaching, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and righteousness. So that why? The man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped, lacking nothing. Like, if you want to know what you need to do and what the right worship is, it's in Scripture. It's been written down for us, and it's up to us to make the match of the heart with the action. It's not up to us to make the action and then the heart, or make the heart, and then make an action beat it. It's what does God want me to do, and I make my heart what He wants it to be. That's what we call being moldable. That's what we call being fashionable. And how many times does God use, especially in the Old Testament, His people and individuals as clay? They're moldable. Children are moldable. They are impressionable. Until a certain age. And then they start getting hard-hearted going back to that Psalm 96. Hard-hearted. You get hard. You don't become as moldable to what God wants me to do anymore, but yet I'm still going to go. I'm still going to worship. But I'm still going to do it my way. And you know again my saying, and I'll say it again, you can do it your own way if it's done just how I say That's really the way God feels about it. You can do it your way if it's exactly the way. Your ways are not my ways. We saw that in Psalm 95. They didn't know my ways is what the Lord said. And that's on me. To get to know what God wants. Yeah, it's up to Michael. And yeah, it's up to me as we teach and as we preach. But when you stand before God, you're going to be like, well, my preacher didn't tell me that. Well, God's going to say, you had the book. So this gets me back to my participation and spectator business. It blows my mind in this day and age how few people actually bring a Bible to church. I'm not just talking about here. I'm talking about anywhere I go. Yeah, we've got it on our phones. Yeah, we've got it on our tablets. I'm all good for all those, right? You all know I like all those devices. How do people just show up? Oh, I just happen to have my phone on my Bible. Oh, it'll work out. It'll be nice. I, I came to spectate. I didn't have any intention of opening up my scriptures. 
I had all the intention to come in. Mark and his five in the pew. I'll listen. I'm good to go. It's a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous concept when you just sit back. Now, here's the new part. I think there is more in John chapter 4 of the spirit and truth than just the right heart and the right action. And it goes back to her original question. On which mountain should we worship? And what I would like to suggest and what I believe is also included in this idea of spirit is that the real sacrifices will no longer be animals. It will no longer be lambs, bulls, calves, all of that. But it will be 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. I want you to turn there. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, Peter tells these Christians that you yourselves like living stones. Jesus was a living stone that was rejected by men, but yet he was chosen and precious before God. He says, you're kind of like that. You yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. He's saying, you're not a real temple you're a spiritual temple. To be living or to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. When she asked the question, which mountain, she says the hour is here and is coming when we'll neither worship in Jerusalem or here. God's worshiping people to worship Him in spirit with spiritual sacrifices as a holy priesthood, not just the Levitical priesthood, but everyone. And in that spiritual temple, that house not made with hands. That's part of the spirit, I believe He's saying, on top of the real place. And you would see things in Hebrews chapter 13 about the fruit of the lips and the giving of the alms, such sacrifices are pleasing to God. It says there in verse 16 of Hebrews 13. I want you to think about this true side of things. I want you to stay there in the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews the 8th chapter, as we're learning about the sacrifice that Jesus offered, would you say that was a physical sacrifice? He gave his physical body, didn't he? But it was spiritual implications. It was very much in this. And so notice what it said in chapter 8 and verse 1. Now the point is, what we're saying, is that we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Our high priest, Jesus Christ, is seated at the throne of God. It's pretty sweet, right? That's in heaven. Now notice what he says in verse 2. He is a minister where? In the holy place. Or in the holy places. In the, and here's our word, in the true tent. Or the true tabernacle that the Lord set up, not man. What we are going to see here in chapter 8 and chapter 9 is that real worship takes place in the real holy place. And where that is, is that is in heaven. Is that you and me, as we offer our spiritual sacrifices, 
we are actually offering sacrifices in the holy place. So you say, Wes, that's, that's kind of crazy. Well, let me explain it from chapter 9. Look at chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. As he uses the temple or the tabernacle as the, as the thing. So in that tabernacle, you had the most holy place. And you had the holy place. The holy place only the priest could go in. The most holy place only the high priest could go in. And there was a veil that separated the two. And in that, we learn from chapter, verse 2 there, that I want you to notice a phrase in verse 1 actually. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship. There's our, there's our key word. This is all about worship. So verse 2, the tent was in there and you had the holy place. Now go down with me to verse 8. He said, by this, and this is the veil, by this veil, verse 8, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. He says, which is symbolic for this present age. Like, you remember what happened when Jesus died on the cross? What happened with that veil? It was rent from top to bottom. Symbolizing now the real holy place is open for entrance. That veil said, no, 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 this is a copy. This is a shadow. This is not the real holy place. The real holy place is in heaven and it's not available yet. But Jesus, through His body, made it real. So notice verse 11 and verse 12. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things to come, the better things to come, the real deal, then through the greater and more perfect tent, the tabernacle, not made with hands, that's the one in the heavens that we referenced back in chapter 8, He entered once for all into where? The holy places. Not by the means of blood of bulls and goats, but of His own. He's in the real holy place. That's what he's saying. That's where worship is going to take place. Worship is going to take place in heaven, not on this mountain and not in this complex. It is going to take place in heaven. And so I want to see that in verse 23 and verse 24. So it was necessary for the copies of, and here it is, the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. The actual tabernacle, the tent, the temple, they had to have blood sprinkled all over it to purify it. He said, but they were copies, they were shadows of the heavenly things, and the heavenly things themselves were the better sacrifices than these for the blood, for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of, here's our word, true things, or the real things, but into heaven itself now to appear and the presence of God on our behalf. Say, Wes, what is that all about? When you and I, we walk in this building, our worship takes place in heaven. And you say, well, that's a little strange. That's a little different. Well, it's all over the place in the Bible. I'll, I'll turn your attention to one passage. Ephesians chapter 2. God, being rich in mercy and the love in which He loved us, He has raised us up and He has seated us with Christ Jesus. And the phrase in verse 6 is, 
He has seated us with Christ Jesus. Where? In the heavenly places. Is that you and me, if we're going to offer God the worship that He really wants, it is not down here. It is up there. And it all is from the heart and all from the mind to do what we are supposed to do. That's the spirit and the truth. And the thought that you and me, we are counted worthy and holy enough to go into the presence of God, then that should give us another appreciation for how special it is that we are allowed to worship this God. It's not just that He wants us to, but that He lets us. How generous of Him to let us into His courts and to invite us there. And so if we're going to be holy, we have to be holy, He says, for high holy. And that's going to be that special relationship that we have with Him as children, as priests, as sons. Beautiful. But it requires me to be holy and separate to Him. It requires me to be holy and separate to Him even when I have weaknesses, even when I'm struggling with things. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to turn my back on Him no matter how sick I may be or how hard I am struggling. I know that there is no one greater. I know no one understands me better than my Maker. And so I'll stick with Him even if I don't get it. Or when things are going really great and I'm progressing and I'm getting stronger and I'm getting better and I start relying on myself a little bit too much and I keep forgetting about how I got here was because of Him. And in those times when I'm doing really well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How His strength is made perfect in my weakness and my strength just proves, man, what He can do with the weakest of people when I start doing well. But if any man boasts, I'm going to boast in the Lord, Paul said. And because of that, man, we just can't help but be grateful and bow down and worship. It is the natural response of when we understand how great God is, is that we just fall. But yet, we're human. We are stubborn. And we don't like to fall. We don't like to do it anyone else's way. But our God is worthy of us surrendering all to Him. This morning has not been a lesson about how to become a Christian. But maybe you're ready. And you're ready to become a Christian. You're ready to be baptized into Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Won't you come now? Or if you need the prayers of the congregation, please come as we stand and as we sing.